One of the most common criticisms I hear about manifestation is that there are wild claims out there about it walking and being scientific, but that nobody ever references the science of it. It was quite disappointing for me to hear that in quite a derisive voice from someone I respect on a podcast, because while I can agree that a lot of people talk about manifestation in the vague and lofty terms that make claims about science that they are misrepresenting, it doesn't mean the science isn't there. In today's episode, as your friendly agnostic witch and host, I'm going to dive into the actual science of manifestation. Legal disclaimer, this is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it should not be understood to be medical advice. Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. I'm Alexis, your new witchy beefer. I'm known as Asteria in witch circles. I'm a photographer by day and start obsessed urban witch by night. Sometimes the opposite, often both at once. And I'm as star obsessed as Natsuki's Shinomiya in Utapri. Or just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm a Capricorn Sun, Scorpio Moon, and Scorpio Rising. Probably a Lyran Star Seed, a Tarot Lover, and all of my lipsticks have a spell on them. I started this podcast to share my passion and the empowerment and self-love that Cosmic Witchcraft brought into my life. Come every Thursday for captivating conversations about life, business, and magic that blend the practical with the world and bring you all-out history geek solo episodes and amazing guests to explore the ways in which we can bring more enchantment into our lives. Ready to live life limitless? Then let's dive into today's episode. If we wanted to pick something to laugh about, repackaging the whole occult tradition as lucky girl syndrome would be my pick. But anyway... Last week, we started this deep dive into manifestation from Humanities Floor 1 in the British Library, like in the old student days, which apparently I have never left because people still think I'm 24 at best. I was legit ID'd to buy a Red Bull. Again. So, first things first. I mentioned it in Season 1 that I agree with the overall criticism of the language around manifestation and feel free to go back to it if you are new to the podcast and haven't heard about it before. However, I'm using it since at this point in time there is no commonly used language that is better. Either it's understood by people who are already engaged with the topic or it's TikTok junk. And I need to think of SEO, or nobody's going to find this podcast, except when you share it and give it a rating and review. Please do so, by the way, it really helps. And it makes my day to know that you guys are actually out there listening. So, before we dive into this topic, 
And I think I need to lay the foundations. Here, I'm not going to address any specific methods because they all boil down to the idea that we live in a reality that has no time the way we experience it and therefore we are capable of bringing into our present reality things that are far removed from it. As long as we are on the correct frequency, of course. If it was as simple as just wanting things to happen, the intro of this podcast would introduce me by a married name starting in M. Now, this isn't an unscientific position per se, because at the time of this recording, physicists have not answered the question of the nature of time conclusively, but by virtue of what makes something scientific, it is not. It's a matter of metaphysics, which is the branch of philosophy that deals with the first principle of things, including abstract concepts such as being, knowing, identity, time, and space. Now, the fallacy a lot of people seem to fall into is that because this premise isn't scientific but philosophical, they conclude that, therefore, the whole thing is unfounded, even in the face of it walking for people. Last week, I started the episode quoting Alistair Crowley on this subject, and I'll circle back to it because it took a Kantian view of reality, and as such, he relied heavily on the idea of the mind being the ultimate source of how we understand reality itself. And that's something that the New Thought tradition also does. I mentioned already in season two how the occult tradition refers back to the philosophical exploration of natural magic in the Renaissance. And in a way, there is an almost uninterrupted line of thinking in metaphysics because the interruption came when people disagreed with each other. Think of it like a family tree where someone marries someone outside of the family and gets a new branch, but you still have people who marry into the family and carry on on the branch they were born on. If you are interested in the medieval and early modern history of witchcraft, I talk about it in the context of natural magic in season 2 episode 1, and I'm also happy to circle back to it and go deeper, so let me know. My email and links are in the show notes. As much as it benefits my analytics to tell you to go back and listen to it before today's episode, it's not really necessary. What you really need to know is that for most of history, two views of magic have coexisted, one that relied on supernatural beings, and arguably, mainstream religion in Europe is a form of magic for this reason, and one that relied on the manipulation of natural energy. We don't have conclusive proof that the supernatural exists as such, because the whole point of it being supernatural is that it exists beyond the laws of nature. So it either exists or it doesn't, but we cannot prove it exists scientifically or we'd be proving it's natural by definition. So that's not something we'll be looking at today and we will be sticking to the tradition of natural magic. The sus-witches in the audience will be familiar with it, but one of the first points of call for the science of magic, and by extension, manifestation, is the placebo effect. 
Claire Wilson, writing for The New Scientist, defines it as a mysterious phenomenon that happens when someone's medical symptoms are lessened through the power of suggestion and expectation. For instance, if someone's illness improves after taking a medicine known to be ineffective. It has been proven to take place time and again in controlled trials over many years. She states that it is an impressive demonstration of the power of the mind over matter, and I agree. Experiments have been run to test what conditions make a placebo work, finding unrelated circumstances from the appearance of the tablet to the doctor's bedside manner that can make it more or less effective. The most interesting aspect for me is when it works even when people know it's a placebo, which is called the open-label placebo. At the other end of the spectrum, we have the nocebo effect, which is when you have an expectation, including one that is not deliberate or even conscious, that something will make you unwell. There has been some research on the impact of the nocebo effect on weight gain, with people who worry about certain foods making them gain weight, finding themselves gaining weight, while people who are more relaxed about it do not. While the extent of the impact of placebo in medicine is often negligible, it shows us something important about how our brains work. Our thoughts have power. As witches, this is key to what we do because magic is about manipulating circumstances. Placebo and nocebo effect can be reasonably seen to explain all sorts of magical workings, from manifestation to curses. You can find many examples of what medical professionals term psychosomatic death, including a number that have nothing to do with witchcraft. Apologies, you may overhear the music from my neighbour, I believe, the flat downstairs, I'm not entirely sure, because, of course, this is what happens when you live in a major city. You will have no soundproof walls and people all over. It could definitely be worse, I promise you. Anyway, another scientifically proven thing that is connected to what we were just talking about with the placebo, uh, although it covers only one method of manifestation, among the many that you'll find espoused by influencers uh, all over the internet, is the impact of visualization on performance. Studies have been reported in the psychiatric annals specifically about athletic performance, but the same principles have been applied in other areas from the US Navy preparing their trainees for worst case scenarios at war to public speakers getting over anxiety and it's pretty much a mainstream thing. The principle behind visualization is that mental imagery impacts many cognitive processes in the brain, motor control, attention, perception, planning and memory. We process reality as mental images and as such, the brain is aroused by mental images, even when they are fantasies. Pun unintended, 
Although, if you needed an example of these, there you have it. You're welcome. Now, visualizing a win as an elite athlete is an easy manifestation, so we have a bit deeper to go. One key point about manifestation is, as I mentioned earlier, being on the same vibrational frequency as the things that we want. Putting it in non-war terms, is our sense of identity a match for our desires? This is where spiritual ideas like scarcity and abundance come into play, but it isn't quite as simple as repeating affirmations in front of the mirror when you deep down think they are BS. Which brings me to our next point of call in neuroscience, the work of MIT and King College London's senior lecturer, Dr. Taras Ward. She's a specialist in neuroplasticity and epigenetics applied to business and is the author of The Source. The Source is the book that The Secret wishes it was. And I guess it came out over a decade later, so she had the advantage of all the discoveries in her field. Still, I'm sure there was a lot more room in 2006 for a scientific exploration of what it is that does the attractive in the law of attraction. Because the thing is, for most people, it's never going to work because they're never going to change the things they need to change about themselves. She's breaking generational patterns and rewriting automatic responses to situations that we have inherited from our families and their trauma. And that's just on an individual level because then you have all of the stuff that is systemic too. There are a lot of practical reasons why it's harder to get out of poverty than it is to fall into it, and why people born in rich families have an advantage from the get-go in terms of health and education before they even go to school. If luck is something we make rather than something we have, as some people believe, it still seems to favour people who happen to have been born in good circumstances. Make of that what you will. A lot of the people who push the idea you can quantum leap into multiple five-figure months are in the business of selling you how. And high-ticket coaching is what's making them that kind of money to begin with. And it's not always disclosed whether it's revenue or profit, because it costs money to market stuff. So there's a difference there and it's not an insignificant one. However, you can reach multiple six figures easily if you can sell something worth 5,000 pounds to four people every month. That's 240,000 pounds at the end of the year, which is a multiple of 100,000, which is six figures. Now, sell something at a higher price point and the math gets even simpler. No need to be Ken from Amnesia to work it out. But do you have a skill that you can market at that price point? And do you truly believe you deserve that price point? And do you move in the world with that energy of deservingness like you're a Norizama in an anime? 
And when people talk about living in an energy of abundance and flow, that's pretty much what they mean. Namely, if you are in an energy of deservingness, you don't hustle and pull and push and try to make things happen. You live like the things you have are already there, in the sense that you enjoy yourself. You don't attach your value to whether the things come to you. And you don't act like you have something to prove. Mind you, I am bad at this. When it comes to work, at least. I totally believe that Mr. M from before would be lucky to have me because I am quite the catch. Part of why I'm doing this series of manifestation now that I don't really have anything to brag about in a world of seven-figure coaches is that I'm challenging myself because I'm facing public humiliation and I don't have that kink. If I came to things from an energy of having to prove that I'm worth listening to, I would not be here doing this. I'm doing this because I'm bringing you actual research and that's worth listening to whether or not I succeed at putting it in practice. I may fail, but you might not. And also because I need to learn to take up space after years being told not to about that's a whole other story. Rewiring your brain is a lot less woo than it may first appear, as we do it all the time. Like, for example, when we take on any new habit. You change jobs and have to change your commute to work. Congratulations, you have experienced neuroplasticity. Our brains are wired to make most of our decisions automatically and subconsciously. They are also wired to seek out pleasure, as we've already discussed in the existential kink episode in season two. That's why researchers at MIT found that the best way to pick up a habit is the cue routine reward feedback loop. An important aspect of the loop uh, when it comes to long-term changes without an immediate reward is to attach a reward to it. That's where exercises like journaling and cognitive behavioral therapy tools that investigates our emotions can be powerful allies in manifestation and why it's important to live in the present from a place of abundance instead of delaying gratification for when we have what we want materializing. You are actively in the process of training your brain into thinking you are the kind of person for whom normality is what is now a vision. And I'm very conscious about using vision as a word rather than dream because I don't want to reinforce any ideas from my childhood that very doable things are, are out there fancies. The power of words is also an aspect of the science of manifestation and I may give it a whole episode because I have a few more ideas to go through so I'll only touch it briefly here. If the point of manifestation is to shift our mindset to the extent that we become the person we want to be in the now, then one of the main things we need to pay attention to is our inner dialogue. Now, neurolinguistic programming itself is one of those psychological things that are considered a pseudoscience out of a bias that things are only valuable if they are scientific. Because it's not something that can be proven in that respect because it deals with the realm of subjective experience. 
At the core of NLP, we find an idea that is common to cognitive behavioral therapy, with the key difference that CBT focuses on reframing thoughts to change the emotional and physiological response to them in a clinical context to heal mental illnesses. And NLP focuses on self-improvement in healthy people, which is why it's such a popular approach in business and leadership coaching and self-help more broadly. The British Journal of Guidance and Counselling, issue 47, volume 1, has a paper titled Comparative Evaluation of Neurolinguistic Programming. If you are interested in looking at this approach and how it compares to more accepted ones in the psychotherapy space like CBT, mindfulness and coaching, although I think the two researchers are playing with fire with coaching, which is also an unregulated as it gets. Anyway, if, if you're interested in looking more into what the scientific foundation is behind the idea of reframing our thinking and inner dialogue, you might be thinking, what does this have to do with manifestations since the internet is full of claims of people living their best lives working two hours a day from a beach in Bali and then still cleaning tables to make rent in Williamsburg? Because at its core, manifestation is about our quest for happiness and nothing more. If you believe in the law of attraction and the idea that like attracts like, are the feelings underneath your wants on that manifestation list? I was listening to Emmy Porterfield's podcast the other day and she asked the rhetorical question, who wouldn't want to be on a big TV show? And hand on heart, I don't care. I couldn't care less. Now, this is what could be a manifestation story gone wrong. She really wanted it, right? Or did she want something else underneath it? I can't speak for her, of course, but I have my own stories of wanting things to happen for validation or to prove I'm good enough. Heck, at times magic itself becomes something I need the spells to walk so I can prove to people that I'm not just taking up space and time in their lives every single week for no reason. And as I said earlier, that's not the kind of energy I want to live in. A lot of my inner and shadow work revolves around coming from a place of not needing to perform to earn love and attention. This is how we got to the extreme self-deprecating humour on the internet. But that's a story for another time. But my challenge for you as we walk through this season together is what void are you really trying to fill with these intentions? Because... When you start giving yourself the things you need, that's when the magic starts to happen. Off the top of my head, there are two more scientific principles in support of manifestation that are worth mentioning here. Then maybe something else will come to mind over time and I'll add it to future episodes. First one, our minds are primed for focusing on what they consider important. Like when you're 14 and suddenly everything reminds you of your crush, or you want to buy a specific car and suddenly everyone has it. Just why, if you want to attract more positive things in your life, you need to focus on the positives. We see evidence of it in multiple experiments, including my favorite one, which was the invisible gorilla experiment on selective attention. The experiment performed at Harvard University 
We've all around watching a short video in which six people and three wear in white shirts and three in black shirts pass a basketball away. Um, multiple basketballs? It's been ages since I saw it. While you watch, you must keep a silent count of the number of passes made by the people in the white shirts. At some point, a gorilla strolls into the middle of the action, faces the camera and thumps his chest and then leaves, spending nine seconds on the screen. Half of the people who watched the video and counted the passes missed the gorilla. This can easily fall into the negative and even pathological kind of magical thinking that is linked to psychosis, in its most extreme cases anyway, but it can also be seen as something we can rely on in our magical practice. One such theorist is Ariel Gluchlich, also of The End of Magic, where it talks about the magicians of Banarsi in India and how Western theories ignore an essential sensory phenomenon, which it calls magical experience, that is an extraordinary, though perfectly natural state of awareness through which magicians and their clients perceive the effects of magical rituals. If we want something and we know that our brains are primed to focus on what we are consciously making important and we also know that we think through associative thinking that we can create a setup when we are acutely aware of opportunities for our intentions to manifest. Of course, when you are a type A kind of person, which you luckily are in a world of late stage capitalism that glorifies hard work while also not really rewarding it as much as it pays lip service to it, that maybe leads the opposite approach to what you need. Which brings me to the other key point. A look at the history of the fastest mile run is a great example of the power of knowing what is possible. If you Google four minute mile, you will come across a lot of dramas based on the true story of Sir Roger Bannister, who on the 6th of May 1954 did what the Telegraph called sport's greatest goal considering it as elusive and seemingly unattainable as Everest, which had actually been conquered the year before. Sir Roger ran a mile under four minutes, something considered impossible and in fact outright dangerous by the medical professionals of the age. As of June 2023, the record is 3 minutes and 43 seconds. Once the mental barrier had been broken, athletes knew it was possible and set themselves the challenge to beat it down to increasingly faster speeds. This is relevant to manifestation because for many, seeing the examples of other people doing it is good enough, but for others, it will just bring up more feelings of inadequacy. And in that case, you have to become your own pattern breaker. In The Power of Impossible Thinking, Walton School Professor Euron Wins and Colin Crook wrote about Sir Roger's story and how it shows us that the biggest factor in his success was the change in the mental model. 
As Bill Taylor wrote for the Harvard Business Review, the runners of the past had been held back by a mindset that said they could not surpass the formula mile. When that limit was broken, the others saw that they could do something they had previously thought impossible. Taylor himself wrote about Sir Roger in his book Practically Radical, recounting how the formula mile happened against the commonly held beliefs of the time. He was a medical student who devised his own training plan against the advice of the establishment of the time and their cultures. Not only that, but he did so in the opposite conditions to what was speculated would be the right setup for this to happen. On a cold day, on a wet track, at a small meeting Oxford, before a crowd of just a few thousand people. These examples are all linked to each other in showing us the true power of our minds in manipulating the energy of our circumstances. If you're looking for objective science about the world external to us, you will not find it. But I hope this episode was helpful in clarifying what's actually going on beyond the fluffy words and slick marketing of the spiritual online spaces that have an agenda to push. It's my biggest passion to see people, and especially women, be more empowered to build a life that puts them and their desires first. It doesn't have to be about high profits and a nomadic lifestyle. Next week, we'll take a little break from the manifestation talk as I'm bringing you more meteor magic. And then we're going to be diving into common methods and what works and what doesn't and how our birth charts can be a possible indication of what our approach should be. But before we go, our forecast for the week ahead. It's a very busy week, especially for Mercury, our chaotic planet of communications, magic, commerce and trickster moves, We'd be in four aspects starting today at 6.08pm Central European time with a square with Saturn, if you want to ride the Dark Moon vibe for some walk around being misunderstood. On the 17th, we have the more positive set style with Venus, which is a common aspect that could be a good day for regular networking activities. Speaking mostly for myself here. On the 21st and 22nd, Mercury will be in a set style again with Mars and Chiron respectively. And that coincides with the sun ingressing into Cancer. So it's a good time to look at such themes, even though it's past the new moon. So up to you if you're strict on the times of the month when you go into Shadow Walk territory. Head over to Witchy Musings on Substack to subscribe to our newsletter to read more about working with Cancer Energy in the upcoming month. The shift will be taking place at the summer solstice on the 21st at 4.58pm CET. Before then, we have three interesting transits, including Saturn going retrograde on the 17th at 7.27pm CET, the Sun squaring Neptune and Jupiter in a set style with Saturn on the 19th, and of course, the new moon in Gemini at 6.37am on the 18th. A theme of this lunation is to surrender away from our thoughts and trying to have it all figured out, which is fitting for this episode and for the card I pulled for the collective, which was the Four of Cups. If I remember correctly, we had it come up before. This time around, it feels like a card that speaks into our tendency to intellectualize things and make decisions out of logic 
and forget that a lot of what we think is logical is just unchallenged assumptions based on past experiences. Now, I'm not advocating for completely irrational living, but part of living intentionally, which is what a witch does, is looking at things and interrogating them in order to exercise control over them. Is taking the offer of the cup from the fairy the logical option? Perhaps, but what if it's poisoned? This card gives us a snapshot of the situation and it can be interpreted in many ways because we don't have the full facts. We can assume he makes a mistake or he has no reason to act as he does or we can assume his choice will pay off and what we choose between the two or if you're like me, the fact you'll entertain both options as valid at once comes from the broader worldview that we hold and what it is that we value. And since Gemini is an air sign, it's a good time to take an honest look at our thinking. That's all for now. I hope to see you on Substack for the New Moon Thread and Cancer Newsletter or on social media. But otherwise, talk to you next week on your platform of choice for more star magic. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna, S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who will enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time, 